Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. going on bbn we're here for another episode of believe in kentucky my name is Vinny hardy got from the cat's paws ag aaron gershon getting you content on all the sports former uk qb Jalen whitlow fellas how y'all doing can't complain can't complain good deal i might have to play basketball though the way the basketball roster is looking (laughs) how tall are you a six three hey okay hey got a got a guard spot field right there Yes, sir. Ah, no, I can't handle it. We got a special guest in here who is part of the Believe Network, just like we are. You can hear her podcast, Believe in Softball, on all the platforms that you hear Believe in Kentucky, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, so many other platforms, TuneIn, YouTube, you name it. We are trying to be there. She hosts Believe in Softball, played softball for Stanford from 2009 to 2012, Coming in for that Pac-12 vibe, we got Jenna Becerra. Jenna, how you doing this evening? I'm good. I mean, I I'm in that like crazy zone right now in the postseason for softball that we all love. Like, I'm still hungover from regionals, but I'm about to be back at it for super regionals this weekend. So, you know, it's the best place to be. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And we we're sorry that our cats are not in it. They did not advance. So I, I wish we could be asking you about matchups and upcoming opponents from that standpoint but we're still gonna have fun anyway we, we we're licking our wounds as far as coach lawson and the cats but we're still gonna have fun in here yeah always always and i think um you know it's a program that you can't ever count out in general so there's plenty to come for kentucky softball that was one question i had and and when i listened to the episode you had her on on believe in softball which was great and you had kind of been watching her from afar. I took it as I listened. Finally got a chance to to talk with her and chop it up a little bit. What was your thoughts of the program, Kentucky, as you cover the entire sport, your thoughts on Kentucky pre-Coach Lawson interview and then kind of your perception of things after you got to, to talk with her and, and, and had an interview session with her? I feel like it was basically before I actually spoke with her, I had the impression that like she put Kentucky softball on the map and made them a contender, you know, because it wasn't something that before she was at that school where that's a softball program that was top of mind for everyone necessarily. But in these last 15 years since she's been there, she has completely elevated it. So I had that sort of impression of her. I also saw a lot of her Twitter like shenanigans with like some of her staff and some of her players and her just like not knowing anything Gen Z, which was very entertaining. So I had like those two nuggets. And then after I talked to her, I could see how she connects with her players so well, because I actually played with um, her director of operations when I was like 10 years old on the same travel ball team. And she was her first recruit and she ended up going to Kentucky to play uh, at the same time that I played at Stanford. And it, it's cool to see how those relationships last over time. So I think after I talked with her, I, I could see, you know, how she's done that on a human level as well as with the results on the field. 
Well, fellas, y'all jump in too, man. Get to, to yeah, I now. hate to go negative after that, but from what you've seen, what do you think <laughs> is the kind of the common trend of why you know this team has kind of fall, fallen short? I uh, know two years in a row in regional and just hasn't gotten to that hump to Oklahoma City, and uh, I think it's nine years now. It's it's one of the hardest humps to get over. And this is coming from somebody where when I played, I was one out away from going to Oklahoma City twice in Super Regionals, and then we ended up losing. So for me, I know that pain. You know, like I know what it's like, and it is hard. It is hard. And you play the toughest competition when you're in a conference like the Pac-12 or the SEC, you're battle-tested going into it. But some of these teams, like going up against – the teams that they face like in the regional, like that's tough, you know, like these teams are also battle tested. So I think for them, it's not necessarily like, Oh my gosh, we should all panic. I think it's just like, they have to keep at it because there's always going to be years that are tough or, or an ending that's tough, or maybe the draw that was tough or the seating was tough, but they, they have the foundation there. And I think that's the most important thing. And that's kind of what I'm alluding to as well with what Coach Lawson has built at Kentucky. So I think you have to have all three parts of the game work at the same time. It all has to like click and peak at the right time, pitching, defense, offense. And that's for anybody. And sometimes, you know, it's who plays the best on that day, not necessarily who's better. And that's why there's a lot of parity too today. It's like what Louisiana knocked LSU out. If I saw that right, like stuff like that is. I mean, it's we 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 see March Madness. We know what to expect when we see the brackets. Is it pretty much like that every May? Is it May Madness in the women's college world series bracket? Pretty much every spring too. Oh yeah, we call it mayhem. So okay. we do have like the hashtag mayhem thing okay. going on, and it literally is just March Madness, but softball edition in okay. May. And it is always like this. And every year it's like, oh, there are upsets. And wow, we're so shocked. Like number two UCLA loses in regional round, right? Like that's pretty wild. It was crazy. But at the same time, if if we continue to have upsets and all these shockers, like are they upsets anymore? You know, or is this just the nature of the beast? And so, yeah, it's definitely mayhem is a fun time. And so if I look right, UCLA has won more titles than anybody. And, yep. you know, like that's right. they're like, the UCLA of college basketball, they're the same thing in softball. They've got more trophies and they go out. But you have to get beat twice. Unlike March Madness, you got to lose twice, right? Which is even kind of more shocking when these uh, upsets happen. Totally. And that's that's the whole thing, too, is it was even when UCLA lost the first game in the regionals, everyone was like, oh, well, they'll still come out of that regional. That's just a bad game. And then they lost two in a row and they actually lost their last game in the Pac-12 conference tournament too. So they lost the last three games and they swept like all the conference awards, player of the year, pitcher of the year, freshman of the year, coach of the year, you know, and um, it it was, it was a, it was definitely a shock, but they are the best. They have 12 championships. So that is, they have that in their back pocket. Yeah. I know, you know, Stanford Cal is nothing but hate and it's up there in Northern California. But how much do y'all hate UCLA since they've won more titles than anybody? Is it, is, I mean, do y'all hate them pretty, a a good deal too? Well, it's funny because now, ever since I've really started this broadcasting career and working at Pac-12 Network, I've started to like the other schools more than I ever did when I played. And I was like, this is a weird feeling. And I even told Chelsea Spencer, she's Cal's head coach, like, you're, this is the most I've ever liked a cow grab before. I kind of don't know how to feel right now. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I do. Um, and I've also interviewed some people from UCLA, like Lisa Fernandez, who's 
the goat, you know, of softball. And she's a pitching coach there now and has been forever. It, yeah. Like there's always a rivalry. There's nothing like that main rivalry, of course. Um, but yeah, like there's always a little bit of extra, you know, pep in your step when you're playing a team like UCLA and Arizona too. They're the second most, they have the eight national championships as well. So the PAC 12 has been pretty dominant uh, historically, but in the last 10 years, Oklahoma has really, they've won the last five or like five out of the last 10. So it's been pretty, pretty cool to see the growth. Yeah, that was, that was kind of my my thing was the other day I saw on TV, I saw like Oklahoma had like, was it 42 wins in a row or something like that? Is that correct? 46. Yeah. 46 wins in a row. All right. So this just, you know, and kind of, you can kind of speak on this. I mean, I played baseball growing up, obviously not on a college level, but how, like, talk about how difficult that is to win 42. You, I mean, it's easy to lose in baseball. The other team just hitting that day or you just meet up, you know, you just kind of meet a hot team. It's kind of like the same thing in March Madness in basketball. I mean, 42 wins in a row. That's like, I mean, just talk about the 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 attention to detail that goes into winning that many softball games in a row. And I mean, the program that they have, I mean, year in, year out, I mean, they, they're just crushing people. Uh, so that's that. In my opinion, that's like the equivalent to maybe even better than the dominance that North Dakota State had in football, the dominance mm-hmm. that Alabama has in football, now in Georgia. Uh, you know, but I I think that has to be spoken about when you talk about dynasties in college sports. Uh, because I mean that's that's amazing to me. Yeah, because it is amazing. I mean, let let me start off by saying, yeah, this is not normal. <laughs> like what <laughs> what they are able to accomplish is not normal like they've only lost one game this entire season and it was to Baylor and that's you kind of have that sort of rivalry there too last year the only games they lost were like to some of their rivals as well like Oklahoma State Texas and it was very very limited um but it is it is incredibly hard because like I said it's not just who's the better team it's who executes on that day so that means that they are executing every single day like it is consistent and the thing is is it's across the board I said how all three parts of the game have to be on to win ball games they have they had the best fielding percentage as a team the best era as a pitching staff and the best batting average as a team Holy in the cow. nation that's going to get you that many wins you know and a possible three-peat that they're going for this year but it is it is well-rounded as well so you have to give all the credit in the world to patty gasso who i know the oklahoma alums all call her natty patty because she's won <laughs> so many national championships <laughs> I would, I would be very I would be very interested in like just hanging around the program for a couple of days because that that to me that's like that's extremely that sounds like a damn machine that guy yeah that's 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 yeah. extremely yeah. elite that's like that's like in football that's like winning you know three seasons in a row and you hadn't you hadn't taken a loss I mean that's that's elite man that's it's impressive yeah it's crazy it it is it is actually like a generational. I don't know if we'll ever see this again after whenever this phase of Oklahoma softball ends. Yeah, I agree with that. Wow. With everything that UCLA and Arizona have done, and for you to say that what they're doing is generational, that, I mean, that, that carries a lot of weight. That is, wow. It does. The last time that a team three-peated with a national championship was UCLA, and it was in the late 80s. It's like at the end of that decade, no one else has been able to three-peat. Some people have gone back-to-back. Arizona's done it. Some other teams, Florida's done it. But no one's been able to three-peat. And people are, it would be a shock to the world. We've seen shocks to the world before, especially in softball and mayhem. But it would be highly unlikely that someone could beat Oklahoma twice, to your point. Maybe once, but to beat them twice, I don't know. I don't know if they're doing that. 
Yeah. So looking at the, the list of winners too, there's basically literally like a handful of teams <laughs> east of the Mississippi has even won a chip. Like like Florida, Florida State, Alabama got one, Michigan, you know, uh yeah. well, Texas AM, that's no they don't count, but that's they're closer to the Mississippi. So like SEC football, all the other conferences hate the SEC, the SEC bias. <laughs> Is there the West Coast bias where Oh my God, UCLA, Arizona, you know, all these teams from the West Coast that have won. Is there that West Coast, even Pac-12 bias that's kind of out there that everybody gives you the side eye? I think there used to be, but it's changed a lot, especially in the last 10 years. Like 24 out of the 40 national championships that exist for college softball and the NCAA are Pac-12 teams. And obviously a good chunk of them being UCLA and Arizona. But also, you know, Arizona State, Washington, Cal, they all have championships too. And at the same time, though, in the last 10 years, only one of those championships has been in the Pac-12. And that was UCLA back in 2019. So the game has evolved a lot. And a big portion of that is TV. And the fact that the SEC network exists and that that deal with ESPN exists, the visibility has grown tremendously. So a lot of talent that maybe was going to those Pac-12 schools initially because they were just churning out championships have started to travel elsewhere. Even if they're like from California, the more and more talent exists and you're like, oh, so I can actually go somewhere outside of the Pac-12 and still be successful and have a chance. So they started doing that, you know, and then when that happens to those local areas start to get more attention and develop the, the talent of young girls in those areas like Alabama and some of the other SEC locations in particular, Florida, Alabama has one, Florida has two, right? And and those that's how it grows. So I think at first, yes. Now I would almost say that it's kind of more flipped to being a little bit more of an SEC focus in softball because of that visibility. Hmm. Makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I heard your, your interview with Coach Lawson, you know, she talked about being from California, she kept saying being from the West and going to play her college ball in UMass, you being a California native as well. She talked about how chill she was. This might be a dumb question, but are you, is a person from California, can they be a fiery competitor? Is that an oxymoron? Are y'all chill competitors? How, how do y'all, you know, is it? Yes, is the answer. I mean, it's, it's less so the personality that's on the field and it's more the personality that's off the field that I think is a little more like chill, laid back, West Coast vibes. But when you get on the field, a lot of people have that sort of like alter ego, you know, like Beyonce has Sasha Fierce, like you have whatever that persona is for you. You know what I mean? And, and that's when it really comes out. And the hotbed for talent for softball has long been in California, especially Southern California. And a lot of that has to do with weather too, right? Like it's easy. You can play year round, all that good stuff. Um, but again, that's still growing too, but they started to go to these different places. And I think the fan bases, especially in the sec, the fact that the fan bases are so engaged, like big blue nation is a great example of that, you know, and coach Lawson talks about it a lot. And when we talked, when I talked to her, she did too. They're so engaged. And sometimes to the point where like, they'll get on you too, they're rooting for you, but they'll also be like, we're going to call something out if we don't like it, you know, and it, it can be tough, but at the same time, like it is it's a blessing to even be in that position. And I think that's how coach Lawson feels too. I think you answered my other question. Cause I was, you know, oh. casual softball fan. I did, I thought 
you know, I didn't really know the answer because you think, you know, the, the greatest of all time, you think Jordan, you think LeBron, I think Kareem should be there. Uh, football, the late Jim Brown, Jerry Rice, Tom Brady, some say Joe Montana, whoever you want to put, but there's consistent answers across the board, you know, in spite of your age sometimes. I was the only people I could think of, and I was like, Jenny Finch, Monica Abbott, who's the softball goat? I heard the name you threw out. Is she pretty much the goat goat? Is what everybody say, Lisa Fernandez, or who who is the goat in softball? A great question because Monica and Jenny, I mean, wow, obviously amazing talents. But if you ask Jenny Finch, who's the go to softball, she would probably say Lisa Fernandez. Wow. And that's because that's who she looked up to. And the thing about Lisa in particular is that she was a, a pitcher who rakes, like we like to say, like mm -hmm. she also played third base. She was very, very multidimensional as a player. So it was less that she was this great pitcher and she was just a fantastic player. She had like the lowest ERA and the highest batting average, you know, she was one of those like freaks, freaks of nature, really. So when you think about it from that perspective and that's what she did for the sport in terms of growth, that's who Jenny looked up to, right. Mm. And like her, her generation. So that's what helped push the sport forward too. So they would probably say her, but if you're looking at like a Mount Rushmore, like, a, yeah, or like a short list, top 10, something like that, Monica and Jenny are going to be on there. Kat okay. Osterman's going to be on there. You know, there are definitely some other legends as well. And I saw that you were pretty versatile. You played you played a lot at infield positions, third base, first base. You played some outfield as well. What did you prefer? Did you prefer, you know, the ball being right up on you on hot smashes? Did you prefer being on the outfield where you read off the bat and you know shag flies? Did you have a preference of, of where you played? It's a good question because I am a big fan of versatility. So that's also why I like Lisa for many other reasons as well. Um, I played outfield only my freshman year. I was recruited as a shortstop as of where a lot of people, it's kind of like, you know, for mm. offensive linemen, you, you recruit a bunch of left tackles, right. To, <laughs> to, to fill out the line. Well, you recruit a bunch of shortstops to fill out your infield and even some of your outfield positions. But I, my favorite position to play in college where I spent a lot of time was third base and it's the hot corner, right? So it's a lot of action, but also in softball specifically the slappers like the lefties who are trying to like hit something by you trying to bunt and trying to maybe fake you out i loved being like nope you're gonna sit down you know <laughs> like we're not not today you know what i mean and that was so fun from a defensive side how do you defend against that i've always wondered because i'm i've rarely seen any of those slap hitters making out other than striking out Yes. Well, it's tough. I mean, sometimes there's nothing you can do, you know, I mean, right. they, they have a perfect bounce that's in the air and they're so fast. You're like, all right, well, tip your cap, <laughs> you know, but the way that you try to defend and the way that like we always did it in college is you don't want to get beat in front. So you don't want to let them trick you on the bunt. If they hit it past you respect, you know, but you're like, no, I'm not going to let you do something funky here. Um, and just try to fool me kind of thing. So I used to get in their face. I used to be really far up the line in front of third base. Uh -huh. And you see that a lot too today. Yeah. Uh, a lot of third basemen do that. What do you think happens with, you know, what's left after the mayhem going forward with who's still in it? How do you see it shaking out with the, with the matchups that are on the table now? And is it, is it really just, who's going to lose to Oklahoma and OKC or how, what do you, what do you think? I do think I I'm a big like believer in anyone can beat anyone on any given day. Again, beating someone twice is kind of another story. 
I do think it's going to be Oklahoma in the end, but I think that the shakeups may happen on who else is going to get to Oklahoma city. Like it might be Oklahoma and everyone else, but like, what is going to happen with everyone else, mm. you know? And, um, there are some interesting super regional matchups for sure. I mean, not just because it's my alma mater, but Duke and Stanford being the number eight and the number nine seed nationally, that's always an interesting matchup because they're like usually pretty evenly, uh, you know, distributed in terms of talent when you're that close in like the bracket in that way. And so I think that's going to be a great one. Um, there are other ones too, where Washington and Louisiana, like totally different, like cultures i think in terms of the programs but how is that going to clash and they both had like down to the wire just one at the very end of regionals washington scored seven runs in the seventh inning to be able to move on you know and then lsu knocks out or uh louisiana knocks out lsu and it went down to the wire as well so it's you know they both have that kind of momentum and who who comes out on top like those are the types of stories that i think are so interesting i do think that if i had to pick i would say washington but like Again, all these shockers that we have and all these upsets, you just don't know. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. What's coming down the pipe on the next episode of, of Believe in Softball? Who are some of the guests you got lined up and some of the topics you're going to be talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a fun season for sure. I think actually most recently I interviewed Nigel Kennedy, who is a freshman phenom pitcher uh, from Stanford. She has the lowest ERA in the country and she has all season long. Um, she's been outstanding. And then um, this week, actually, next tomorrow, so Thursday um, is when episodes usually come out. Uh, I interviewed Nicole Auerbach and she um, she actually like used to play softball growing up and she works for the athletic and she's been covering the women's college world series. So we're getting kind of that interesting, uh, backstory of, uh, of her perspective and a different perspective. And there was also some people that like recruited me, uh, when I was, you know, coming up the ranks in high school and like, I'll have them on the show, some old coaches and things like that. So those are really fun. Hey, sounds good. I definitely enjoyed the episode with coach Lawson um speaking of we got we got to get her on here on here with us we gotta we gotta follow your lead and try to get her yes shop it up with us at some point um enjoy the rest of the mayhem and and see how it shakes out and we'll be keeping an eye on it and thank you for hopping on here and love to have you on here again maybe uh get get your catch your breath in the off season and ramp up towards next season or something get you on to, to preview uh what 2024 is gonna be like Oh yeah. I'd love it. I mean, every year we say, you know, it's like the bachelor, how they're like the most dramatic season ever. It's like, that's how it feels with softball, but it's true. So 2024, somehow we'll find a way to be even crazier. Sounds good. Jenna, man, thank you for all you do. Appreciate all your coverage, all your insight, uh, taking time out of your evening to talk to, well, I can't speak for these two guys, but a casual softball fan <laughs> who probably ask you some basic questions. You're like, oh my God. This, <laughs> but thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And casual fans can always become, you know, crazy fans eventually. So we'll get you there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, I've been to some games. I've been to some games in John Croft Stadium. Enjoyed it. Had a ball. It's, and I'm, I'm biased. But it's a great stadium. Love it. It's Maybe a great stadium. Yeah. Yes. I bet was my uh, favorite sport to watch in college. Yes, I love, love that. It is, it yeah, been, is awesome. Right, I've been in that stadium more than Rupp and uh, the baseball stadium combined. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I like to hear. 
I know I need to make it out there. I actually haven't been to John Crop Stadium, but I only hear great things. And obviously talking to Coach Lawson, you know, it's like I got to make the trip at some point. Yep. Yep. You'll be welcomed. You definitely yeah. be welcomed. They do it right. They do a lot of the baseball and softball games at the same time. And you kind of bounce between the two. It's, it's, a, it's a great setup. That's Absolutely. fun. That's super fun. Believe in softball. Y'all check Jenna out on the Believe Podcast Network. Enjoy all the content, all the great guests. Go back and listen to the episode with Coach Lawson. You'll definitely enjoy it, as well as the future episodes that are coming as well. Thank you so much, Jenna. We really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Jenna Becerra, Believe in Softball, Pac-12 Network, (laughs) Stanford alum, all kind of big things. And you can hear her right here on Believe Network, just like you hear us. Fellas, we got to jump in here and get caught up on, we got uh, a basketball roster that's causing some consternation, you might want to say. You know, we, we caught up on the football in the portal last week. Yeah. A lot of hand wringing going on, a lot of calls and attempts to get guys and people are choosing other places what 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 are we thinking what, what we got what we got ag we got Jalen. y'all thoughts man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead Jill. i'll let you go first no i just think uh you know as as crazy as it is and i honestly got i i never would have thought that i would see this day come um but I just think it's an indictment on what's going on, you know, and I mean, in that program, I mean, they're still a top whatever in the country program, you know, they're still a blue blood, but that thing is obviously changing at a rapid pace. Um, you know, even from two years ago, I mean, the fact that, you know, guys that you would think would make that decision to come to Lexington or turning it down and going other places. So, I just think, um, you know, maybe it's something that we don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't know, but it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of alarming that uh, they're not able to reel in some of these guys that they want. So uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see how it shakes, how it shake out. I mean, the good thing is you'll get a lot of guys in there who are going to be excited to play for Kentucky, hungry to play, um, because you probably get some guys who didn't expect to you know, play for Kentucky um, at the end of the day, because you're going to get guys who probably were that next tier of of, of college basketball player, which always, which is, it, that that's not a bad thing, man, because like I said, you get hungry guys, you guys that want to play, guys that weren't, you know, necessarily five stars and everybody offering them everything. So uh, that's the bright side of it. But, the, you know, I think um, the headliner is, you know, what's going on in that building where, you know, it's tough to land some of these, some of these, you know, highly talented guys. Yeah. I think, you know, I'll I'll get back to adding to the roster in a second, but I'm more concerned to what's kind of going on behind closed doors when you guys like TJ Beisner, who um, I forget what his latest role was, but he's been at Kentucky forever. He's loved by Cal Perry and really everyone I know. I mean, I've gotten to know him a little bit. He's a great guy. He's leaving Kentucky. I couldn't believe when I saw that. Uh, Andrew Ortilli, the video guy, going to Temple. I couldn't believe that one either. And then guys like Lance Ware, man. He's been here three years, and I get that his role was never going to be a lot. But at Villanova, like looking at their roster for next year and 
just, you know, I know they had a down year last year, and part of that was injury-based. Um, first year without Jay Wright, whatever. But is he really going to have that much of a bigger role at, at Nova? And it's not like, you know, yeah, I get Nova's closer to home from him. He's from Camden, New Jersey. It's like 25-minute drive or whatever. But, like, he had his high school team. You know, DJ Wagner is a Camden guy. And Aaron Bradshaw is a Camden guy. I forget which one of them played with them for one year while, while we were still there, but one of them did. So, like, what's going on there? And what's going on? Um, I get Damon Collins' situation, but even C.J. Frederick, like, he loved Kentucky from all I could tell and all he could talk about. And, you know, I know his next year's role wasn't going to be a starting one, but it would have been the same as he had last year. And I think, it like, I don't know much about how Cincinnati's roster looks compared to Villanova, who's the bigger name. Um, but like, is it going to be that big of a difference? I mean, I know they're playing in the big 12 next year, but I, I just don't know. So those kind of make me a little, little weary, uh, the staff, you know, taking forever to fill out, obviously, you know, they make the higher official with John Welch this week. That's great. I think he's a, he's a great guy to have as kind of like an offensive coordinator, um, uh, X's nose guy. They've kind of been missing since John Robick left, but like there's still another staff position to, to to get. You lost Jay Lucas last year, kind of mysteriously going to Duke where he thought it'd be a better fit. You know, KT Turner jumps at the first head coaching job possible and it's UT Arlington. And I know he's a Texas guy, but like it's UT Arlington. Like, I, I don't know about that one. So it, it, there's a lot of strange things going on. And I think, you know, as far as Getting guys, I think there, there's two issues. I think, one, they've kind of reserved those spots for the guys who are testing the waters, so Reeves, Livingston, and Shibway. Um, At this point, they might go 0 for 3. I think at best they're going 1 for 3. Um, it's not sounding good with Reeves. I think Livingston's been out the door. I think Shibway's the guy that comes back maybe. Uh, I still think he's the guy because he just loves Kentucky. Uh, he knows he's going to make a ton of money here next year. Uh, he knows his, his legacy is what it is here, and he's going to – profit off of it and he's going to be loved here and all that good stuff. So I think Oscar just kind of would be the guy who comes back. I just don't think Reeves, you know, sees a role with next year's team that he loves. So that and the, just the freshman thing, man, like it's great that they're going to have some star talent, freshman talent. And, um, you know, I think DJ Wagner is probably going to be the best player of the group. Uh, I have high hopes for uh, Justin Edwards. Um, I'm high on Aaron Bradshaw, maybe not as high as others, but I'm high on him. Uh, I think Shepard's kind of a, a multi-year guy, and then D Dillingham is kind of the wild card of the class. But anyway, you got five, four or five stars, four McDonald's All-Americans, whatever. But they like it's hard to recruit these kids who are in the transfer portal to get more minutes and be like, hey, yeah, you're going to be a role player with these five freshmen. Like That's not attractive. That's how they lost Kashad Johnson to Arizona. So I, I get why guys aren't picking Kentucky right now. And it, it is a tough, tough spot that Cal's in. And, you know, the way they set things up, man, they're supposed to be playing games in like, what, six weeks in Canada? Yeah. So it, it's, it's, I don't know what's going on inside the craft center. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. I mean, it's, the fan base is going to worry about something, whether they got something to worry about it or not. Yeah. <laughs> But, but I think it's justified this time. Yeah, they've we've seen them get some late acquisitions yeah. in the past. I don't know if maybe there's something up their sleeve now. Who who knows? Uh, and they, like you said, it is justified. I don't know. I'm just kind of am I following it super closely? Not really. But is it 
if I, but me worrying about it's not going to change anything. It's where no. I'm looking at it. So that's kind of where I'm. That's where I'm at on yeah. it. But they they got to earn their money and and <laughs> got to do something. You got to do something, man. You can't have seven guys and you know it's crazy. Like I see a lot of the people who are really positive about it, kind of going, "Oh, look, it's all the top guys in the class, whatever." Yeah, yeah, you got the number one class, and that's great, but. Have, are we watching the same Kentucky team that has leads the SEC in injuries every year and depth is like last year they had 10 scholarship guys and they had injuries like and they were having trouble right I mean at the last game of the year you had CJ Frederick being forced to play barely able to breathe because you needed a body out there so uh, you got to have more than seven guys and like I, I think Agano uh, Unesu I don't know how great he's ever going to be but I think he'll you know, he'll have a bigger role next year. I, I hope a do because he's a really good kid has a good year next year. But like even those guys haven't played that much ball. I mean, a do probably a little more than Ugana. Um, so it's like next year on as of right now would be their first year in a big role. So you're just asking a lot out of out of a lot of inexperienced guys, some who have no college experience. And we saw the way this NCAA tournament went last year, man. The experienced teams win. That's why, you know, Duke and their freshman heavy team didn't go anywhere. Um, some of the other big freshman heavy teams. I mean, Kansas had a mix of some veteran guys in there, but they relied a lot on Grady Dick. They didn't go anywhere. So uh, <laughs> you need some vets, man. You need some vets. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, uh, oh, am I critical? Or I always second guess. He he tightens the rotation up every year. He, he wants to play seven, eight guys tops. I'm always and look. It depends on how they develop, but if you got them, develop them. If you have depth, use it. <laughs> use your depth. I mean, don't. That's why they leave, man. Like, don't. <laughs> if you can't, don't just play eight. If you can go ten deep and they can play and as cohesive units, use your depth. I don't. I've I've never really agreed with just trimming the rotation down. To where I only want it to be these this is my core. I mean, if you have to, fine. But you know, I'll use your depth. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago when we were talking about how it's hard for Kentucky to be consistent when it comes to competing at a final four level right now, partly because Everybody they get that come in, they end up being stars in the NBA. They're freshmen. They're 18 years old at Kentucky. The second step of that is, is what you said, right? They don't play a lot of depth usually, except for a couple of years they play, you know, about 10 guys. Yeah, they but, did the platoon in 15. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But those guys who end up developing pretty well, and they usually leave and go play somewhere else where they can play more because they're not getting enough – uh, enough tick they're not getting enough time on a court to develop so um i think that's you know that's that's another reason for it and that's why you see so much roster overhaul uh every year in my opinion i i'm kind of a i'm kind of a you know i'm kind of old school when it comes to this i don't like seeing a whole bunch of roster overhaul every single year i still enjoy seeing kids come in as freshmen and develop and see how much better they can get between 18 and 21 years old. I still enjoy seeing that. And you just, you know, that's one of those things that you just don't see nowadays. Um, and it makes it tough on the coaches because, yeah, you, you're coaching a whole bunch of kids who should be, you know, they just 
graduated high school, man, at 18 years old. So you're not going to get the maturity, the, 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 you know, the leadership that you want every single year, especially when your roster is changing so much and they're 18 years old. So it's, it's a tough situation to be in because personally, I'm not sure how good of a coach he is to be able to do, get those guys in and make that change that early when they're 18 and go compete for final fours every year. Like he used to. Yeah. I'm just being honest. And the second step of that is it makes their job even harder when you're having, you know, coaching overhaul, roster overhaal, video guys. I mean, it may, he's in a tough spot, man. A uh, really tough spot. So I'm anxious to see how it, you know, how, it, how it turns out. Uh, I'm sure they'll get talented guys like they always do, but, you know, I think that, and, and we kind of spoke about this earlier too, that top tier talent is being distributed everywhere. You're not, you're not getting that, that one, two, three uh, C that's just loaded with the best talent and everybody else has good players. I think you're getting great players everywhere. Uh, and it's making this thing a lot more interesting. And I even agree with what she was talking about on the softball. I, I like the fact that, you know, um, quote unquote, blue bloods lose sometimes. I think it's good for the sport, you know, I do. But, you know, as you're a Kentucky fan, you don't you don't want to hear that. You know, you don't want to hear you don't want to hear you like that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Like I said, he's in a tough spot. We'll see how, if he can kind of dig himself out of it. Yeah. And I think I just can't believe that like last year wasn't like a warning sign to all the blue bloods like, oh, crap, the, the yeah. playing field is leveled. And I think it has to. I guess I'm more calling out Kentucky. Look at what Kansas has done, man. Hunter Dickinson's the most proven guy you could get, and they were able to keep McCullough there and, uh, you know, round out that roster really nicely. Duke has added some in the portal, and they've kind of kept some guys around. Um, their big man decided to come back, which was kind of not expected, but, you know, they're able to get another year of development out of him. So, you know, you look at what those two teams have done. They, I think they've kind of gotten the message like, hey, like, we need to make sure we have veteran and and freshman talent. We got to have the perfect combination. And uh, I think, you know, last year, and I get, you know, Cal wants to go young because the last two years he did kind of try the experienced route uh, with some of the five-star guys mixed in. I mean, last year, obviously, had the two McDonald's kids and Wallace and Livingston and then had a lot of veteran talent. But, you know, it doesn't need to be – I think last year was like just like an eight-to-two ratio or whatever it was of – veterans compared to freshmen or they had three freshmen with a do and or a gun i guess too but anyway they had more veterans than than freshmen playing most of the time next year you know you want to have a balance and i just feel like there's no balance it's one or the other here and uh i, I just don't think it's going to serve them well I, I really don't i mean last year fau miami veteran teams that I mean, no one could have predicted before they would be in the final four but you look at how much time those guys have played together um it adds up uconn i mean yeah, some freshmen mixed in, but there's some continuity on that roster. Um, that kind of led them to where they got. And then um, who's the other team? San Diego State. <laughs> I mean, man, they had like two or three four-year guys, uh, Keisha Johnson being one of them. So, you know, it's really obvious kind of what's happening here. And uh, I don't know why they're just not picking up on it for whatever reason. At least it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And is it – I mean – Dwayne Peavy leaving? Do we go back to that? You know, it's, it's that core four guys, man. You know, Kenny Payne, KP, Ron Robick. 
I mean, look, I mean, I think Welch is going to really help with the X's and O's. I've everything I've been reading up on and studying a little bit. Um, I've been very, very impressed with what I've seen and his resume, I think in the NBA and how many different guys uh, he's coached up and been around, I think is going to serve Kentucky well. Um, and he's been around some, you know, really good NBA coaches and even some really good college coaches. I mean, he was a part of that UNLV dynasty in the early nineties. So uh, I do like that hire. I think maybe that'll kind of be the Robic, if you will. Um, I think Antigua and Coleman have been outstanding recruiters. What can you say? I mean, look at this class coming in. I know Cal is kind of the mastermind behind of it, but those guys are out there building relationships and it's working. And obviously Chin, you know, going back to even Ty Ty Washington, kind of pulling him at the last second. So uh, I think they got the recruiting back and I think the high school recruiting back. And I think they've gotten maybe the X's and O's back, but like the connection with the fan base and, you know, the administration, that was PV. The connection with the players was pain. So you're still missing two parts of the equation. Mm-mm-mm. We shall see. Uh, Kentucky baseball was one and done in Hoover. Uh, they, it's, look, they're in the tournament, so that is uh, – <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. They would have liked to, no doubt, go down there and win a game. Uh, they went down there last year much more desperate <laughs> and won a couple games. Yeah. Uh, but just couldn't get anything going against Alabama – base running mistakes run themselves out of a couple of innings and you know they thought they had a pass ball slash wild pitch and, and tried to you know sneak and get second and got gunned down uh, stuff like that alabama and florida tied at three right now yeah um what a, i mean alabama <laughs> with everything that happened there with the whole gambling thing and <laughs> getting fired they've lost like two games since yeah, that happened they went yeah. in and they beat vanderbilt two out of three Obviously, what they do to Kentucky, that same starter against Kentucky could not get an out uh, back in late March when they played each other in the regular season. So I think I think more so you got to tip your cap to Alabama. I think that like when they got that draw, it was like, oh, boy, you know, I, I think everyone, at least everyone I talked to and at least myself kind of felt pretty bad going into that game. But I think they've still done enough to host. But the national seed, which, of course, is the top eight seed, which would kind of lock you up to be at home, you know, you're path to Omaha would have been at home. I think they needed to win that game yesterday to, to clinch that, and they didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, so we should see. I don't know. If, I don't know. Positive note, Tennessee got shut out yesterday, too, so that was it was good to see Texas yeah. them knock them out. Yeah, that uh, knocks them out of hosting, so yeah. that yeah. little boom box won't get the host of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. So, I mean, that's, that's petty of me to say, but it is what it is. Um, that's how I feel about that. Um, any movement on the football front, Jalen? We hit it a lot last week, and you know the, the announcement of all the new players getting welcomed in. And uh, Cutter Bowley, AG, you were there seeing all those custom shoes up close and in person. Uh, we had the Florida State shoe, the Michigan shoe, the Tennessee shoe, the Kentucky shoe. You were there for that, so how was that, man? Uh-oh. We lose AG. Huh? I said, man, you were there last week. Oh, for... Sorry, I, I, you cut out. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my bad. That's why I, I thought I did. No, you're good. I said you you were there uh, in person for yeah. Cutter Bowling and all his all his custom shoes on the table. How was that, man? It was really cool. I love the custom shoe idea. I mean, obviously, we've seen the hats. Um, I wanted to see him throw one of them, but uh, that didn't happen. But he's still kind of teased with it. But, yeah, Cutter is a really impressive kid. I got to talk to him for the first time. Um, I, I think 
don't we were talking about it last week man the high school quarterback they've been missing on that right that's kind of been one of the things with Stoops he's done such a good job recruiting uh lately um obviously Vince Merrill getting a huge assist there but the quarterbacks you know I I had a stat I found that I self-researched that I want to pull up because I think you guys would find it interesting just about how little we've seen um high school quarterbacks like that Kentucky or Mark Stoops and his staff have recruited have actually started and um it's crazy. So out of the 125 games of the Mark Stoops era, obviously, Jalen, you were a high school quarterback, but the guys that, you know, that were Mark Stoops recruits, per se, 2013 and after, only 28 starts, 22 for Tolls, five for Barker, and one by Destin Wade. Everyone else has either been, um, you know, from the Phillips era or that recruiting-wise or transfers. So I think getting a – I think so. That's one twenty-five minus twenty-eight is how many games that have not been started by a high school quarterback that Stoops and staff. It's crazy. So I think Cutter Bowley. I don't know if he's going to start year one. I think they might do a bridge guy, kind of like they're doing this year. Um, especially with some, you know, it seems like every year there's tons of capable starters that enter. So I think maybe year one, uh, we'll see another transfer start at, in twenty twenty four, but. For the next three years after that, man, uh, it should be Cutter Bully's show if all things go as planned. Yeah, um, definitely got to, you know, develop that, um, you know, the, kind of that stigma of locking down your home state when it comes to quarterbacks. When you get a yes. top quarterback coming out, you got to lock that down. Uh, you can't allow them to go anywhere. Um, so that that was big from that standpoint. Um and yes, I do believe that, you know, I don't think they'll bank on a freshman being a starter year one. They'll definitely get in the portal and grab somebody. So yeah. uh, I'm sure they're hoping that somebody on the roster right now develops into a point where they can start, you know, even though they won't be the starter this year, but they, they are starter quality. That way you can get, you know, Bowley in and really have him compete with somebody that's better than him off the bat um i think that's that's really important when it comes to developing your quarterback room um so we'll see you know you know got the size can make all the throws um you know obviously there will always be a jump from one level to the next but you know his his arm strength you know will will help him out initially until he really start to learn the college game um you know everything moves a little bit faster well, a lot faster. Uh, I've I've just got done listening to some quarterbacks saying that the the jump is bigger from high school to college than college to yep. pro. Uh, so the you know, and, and I never played pro ball, but I've been around a lot of those guys and thrown against them in one on ones and whatnot. And I would say I agree um, that the jump is definitely bigger from college to from high school to college rather than college to pro. But like I said, he has the talent to kind of you know, where's that gap a little bit until he catches up mentally with the, you know, with just the, the processing of the speed on the field, processing of, you know, uh, the offense, the playbook, you know, the game plans, the processing of what he's seeing on defense, the complex defenses. You know, there, there's not many defenses in the country more complex when it comes to zone coverage than Kentucky. Uh, so he'll get a chance to see that in practice and that'll help him out a lot. So, you know, we'll see how that goes, man. So, Again, big get for uh, Kentucky football. Got to lock down. Whenever you get a top quarterback of your state, yeah. uh, 
got to lock it down. You got to grab them. Uh, you know, even if you think somebody else out there is better, I think it's big when it comes to the rest of your recruiting class and just your overall uh, reputation when it comes to recruiting in general. So that was big. Yes. And him, especially because he's, you know, he's obviously one of the, I think, I don't know what his new rating is. He's still a four star, high four star in our system, but it's a little different now. They got moved to 24. So let's see, uh, 13th ranked quarterback right now, uh, top recruit in Kentucky, 140th overall prospect. So he goes to all those big name camps, right? And he yeah. is around a lot of blue chip prospects um, that he talked about. You know, now he's the captain of the class. He's got to recruit them himself too and help out. And I think, like you said, I think that's going to attract some guys, attract some playmakers, offensive linemen, uh, and even defensive guys who, you know, want to be able to feel comfortable and play more free, knowing their offense is going to put up points on the other side. So uh, just a huge get. I think one of the biggest, I mean, just in terms of overall rankings, he's the, let's see, in Kentucky history, again, his numbers switched a little bit. I think he's like the 10th highest recruit ever as of right now, and he could still move up, you know, if things um, – uh, shake out with the classic 24 and he keeps developing. So um, j just a big, big game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, just sadly had some, some older celebrities and people noteworthy, you know, some connected to Kentucky, some not pass away uh, last week. Didn't mention it, but longtime Louisville coach, Denny Crum passed away at age 86 and you know, growing up, you know, you just knew he coached Louisville and you hate Louisville. They hate us. And you, you see the rivalry and it's kind of all you knew, but he was, he was a great guy by all accounts, kind of like Joe B was at Kentucky. Joe B and Danny had a radio show after their coaching days. That was hilarious. Yeah. And so um, crazy though, you know, Denny was an assistant for John Wooden came straight from UCLA to Louisville and never left. UCLA tried to hire him back. He beat UCLA for one of his championships, mm. stayed in Louisville for, you know, coaching for 30 years, lived in Louisville after his coaching days was over, you know, so you know, Louisville loved him. He was beloved in Louisville, a prominent figure in the state of Kentucky. I mean, he built Louisville into what it is. The rivalry is what it is because, you know, Kentucky wins the title in 78 with Joe B. Louisville wins in 80. Louisville wins again in 86. You know, he gets to Louisville in 1971, goes to a Final Four in his first year. I mean, it's just crazy. So an unbelievable career that he had in Louisville. So uh, condolences to him and, and, and the family. So that's a big person in Kentucky. Talked a lot of Kentucky basketball. This gentleman was way before our time. Cotton Nash played in the 60s. Uh, the older generation will tell you that he made Kentucky basketball cool. He one of 13 people to play in the NBA and in the major leagues. The wow. 13 people. Oh. That's it. He played for the White Sox, uh, looked up to Mickey Mantle, Aaron. So he got to play against the Yankees, and, and so he got to do that. Um, but a great career. Um, he was just a couple years ahead of Pat Riley, who – is doing great things with the heat and everybody yeah. knows a lot of young people don't even know he was at went to Kentucky, but he did. Uh, but Pat Riley is the Raptors at Kentucky. Yeah. Pat Riley is 78. Cotton Nash just passed away at age 80. Uh, we also had Jim Brown. Uh, 
greatest running back ever, a lot of people want to say, one of the greatest football players ever. You want to put Jim Brown, Jay Rice, Tom Brady, Joe Montana, whoever. Jim Brown's always going to be in that conversation. Uh, his numbers may not compare now, but the dude was only playing 12 game seasons. So, <laughs> and, and, he, and he quit after nine years, retired nine years, kind of like Barry Sanders. Said, I'm going to go and start making some movies. I got, you know, Art Model. You can find me if you want. I'm done. So, you know, did a lot of stuff out the field, activism, civil stuff. Now, the treatment of women, he did not do that well at all. You can't be doing to women what he did. And you, you can't just act like that didn't happen because he, he was abusive to women and he shouldn't have been. And you just, you know, you don't gloss over that. Uh, on the field, legend, Hall of Famer, all that, but so, you know, but a legend that passed away in Jim Brown at age 87. And then today, Tina Turner, a little bit before y'all's time, but everybody knows who she yep. is, knows about her. Tina Turner passes away too. So it's right to mention all of those, you know, celebrities and iconic people. Uh, a lot of people, you know, Beyonce might not be Beyonce without Tina Turner, you know, yeah. it's, <laughs> but she kind of paid away for a lot of entertainers, you know, female entertainers. She had to overcome Ike and, you know, read, watch that documentary about what she had to deal with. And then she reinvented herself at 40, came out with what's love got to do with it, all those hits. And, you know, nobody does that at age 43, 44. You're washed at this point. Supposedly, she <laughs> came up with a whole second phase on tour at 60. Moving around like she's 20. I think Tyler Thompson, KSR, said that's the first person she ever saw in concert. Cindy Lauper opened for Tina Turner. And so that's that's a heck of a show. So I'm rambling, but a lot of big-time people have just passed away recently. So just wanted to mention them. Uh, a lot of big-time people did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, and one last thing, too. We got the Kentucky uh, Sports Hall of Fame. Class yeah, 2023 AG man Rick Bozich from WDRB goes in. Uh, Bridget DeVries, former commissioner for the KHSAA. Chris Lofton, we saw him do his thing in Orange, but he's from Kentucky. Bubba Paris played for Michigan in the 49ers and the Lions and the Colts, but he's from Louisville. And last but not least, the voice of the Cats, Tom Leach goes into the Kentucky Sports Hall of Fame. Congratulations to all those people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Huge honor. I did too much talking, but if y'all want something to add, y'all feel free to. (laughs) It's all all good and, you know, all worth the time to to mention. And, uh, yeah, Tom Leach especially, uh, getting to know him quite well the last couple of years. So happy for him. Long overdue. Uh, He's as good as it gets, both football and basketball. It's hard, man, to do, especially during that – the uh, overlap season, you know, late, you know, when it gets into November, uh, obviously December is just basketball until the bowl game. But now having both of those, you know, sometimes you got, you know, the last couple of years, they have had a bowl game, the same game as the Louisville uh, a couple times, a Louisville basketball game. We obviously saw that this year. And then uh, there was another year, I think the Music City Bowl year in 17, it was the same thing where they overlap. But I mean, he, he's done it where 
I think I know he did a game this last season. He called the Georgia football game, which yes. was Saturday, and then he was on the plane to Spokane to do the game against Gonzaga the next day. So, uh, what that guy does and does it so well each and every game, uh, is so impressive. So, really happy for him, all of them, obviously, but uh, just getting to know Tom the most out of that group. Absolutely, he was kind enough to come on this podcast and chop it up a little bit. I remember the, one of the hadn't been on Twitter long at all. Didn't even really know how to use it. Hadn't even really been tweeting much. You know, still kind of figuring it out. I think it was 20, 2010, 2011, something like that. And you had the, like you said, Aaron, you mentioned the cross-country double dip that he did going from Lexington to Spokane. But Kentucky, Kentucky had beat Tennessee to end the streak uh, earlier in that afternoon. And then yep. he did that game at, like, it was still Commonwealth Stadium back then. Then he goes and does the Kentucky Portland State. Somebody. It was the eventual 2012 championship team, Anthony Davis and yep. MKG and all those guys. And I remember just tweeting him either before the game or I was like, are you going to do both games? I'm like, he won't respond. I don't even know what Twitter is. Let me just see it. And then he said, yes, I will. I was like, whoa, <laughs> he, re- he responded. So <laughs> he hard to both. do, man. Not like obviously on your voice and all, but just mentally to, there's so much focus that has to yeah. be there. Be get, you know, <laughs> radio is harder than in my, from what I've learned, just, you know, I've obviously I'm not a broadcaster, but uh, I've obviously taken some classes and know a lot of them just in this business. And radio is harder than TV, in my opinion, because you got to call everything. You got to really set the scene for your audience. Whereas TV, you can kind of leave some things out because you want that moment to just play out itself. But radio, you got to describe everything because the person's not watching. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to do two, to do that in two different sports, same day or day after night, you know, going cross country. Uh, Man, that, that ain't easy. So, uh, yeah, he deserves every bit of this, and he's been doing it a while. Yeah, and, I, and that was that was one, you know, seeing that tweet. I think Keith Farmer, when I saw the tweet out first, 25 years, I think. How's football, this not I, I kind of <laughs> thought he was already in. You would have thought, know? man. And then, you know, you read the list, oh, Tom, and you saw everybody tweeting, Tom, congratulations. Like, man, I thought – I kind of thought he was in there, but you know, I know you've seen him up there in the press box, or seen him courtside. Yeah. His 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 notes, the the <laughs> the, the, the the all the color court the mm-hmm. notes and stuff he's got jotted, and the stuff you got to remember, and on the fly, and Jalen, man, you know, if if you have a bad series or you know you get backed up third and twenty five, you can call timeout and try to regroup. He doesn't have a timeout unless there's a stop and play. He could be, and I, I asked him about this when he was when he came on the podcast. I was like, "Say you're, say you're sucking, or you kind of know you're not bringing it like you like, but you got to gut it out and and force yourself to get together until somebody calls a timeout, until a ball goes out of bounds and somebody dribbles off their foot, until there's an incomplete pass, or until you go to commercial and there's a punt." I said, how do you kind of force yourself to get it together on the air? And, you know, he talked about, you know, if he's pretty, you know, he's a cosmic professional, but, you know, say you don't feel good. Say you're, you, you know, you're not your A game. Maybe the listeners don't know, but you might know, eh, I'm not where I need to be, but you got to kind of fix yourself 
on the air as the game is happening. That is that is like talking about Cal being in a tough spot. That's a tough spot to do as a broadcaster to kind of if you're not if you're not with it, get yourself with it, or you know because you got to make it until they call a timeout or until a stoppage in play. And if there's no stoppage in play, you gotta you gotta get with it. Yeah, that 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 performance anxiety probably get him through it. He got you know he know he got a got a lot of people listening. So you know it's kind of like playing. You know you got you know you got to. It don't matter what how you feel. You got to do it. You got to mm-hmm. try to do it to the best of your ability. So yeah. uh, I'm sure that's a whole different art that I'm not even aware of. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, shout shout out to anybody who does that at a high level over and over again. That you know, you can easily make yourself look stupid or. Sounds stupid on, on radio. Yeah, and, you yeah, know. Yeah. So shout out to them. I, I respect anybody's profession where they do it at a high level, and able to, you know, whatever that high level is for them, you know, uh, and can do it consistently. I, I respect that. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, well said, fellas. Another enjoyable episode. Um, try not to panic about the roster fans. Just try to, yeah, hope it works itself out. Next time we report, it's deadline day. So uh, we will know a lot more this time next week. Did you go to Hoover yesterday for the game? Okay. I kind of, I, I was going to go if they got a double buy and I knew it would be a multiple day trip, but I wasn't okay. going to risk it, you know, for a one and done. So. Okay. Gotcha. Well, we'll find out where they're going and what's next for them as well. And anything that comes along over these next seven days will be. Messing each, messaging each other about it in our little group message and mm-hmm. talking about it on the next episode. So, AG, Jalen, appreciate you. Thanks to y'all. Thanks to Jenna Becerra hopping on here and, and getting us caught up on all things Women's College World Series. That was some fun perspective and um, got some insights as to what's going on with Mayhem and softball. Appreciate her. Appreciate all y'all. Hope everybody enjoys listening. We enjoy bringing it to each and every week. Until next time, we'll catch y'all again on another episode in the future on Believe in Kentucky. Everybody be safe. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube